Good evening. Nice to see you here. It's nice to see you elsewhere, but it's nice to see you here. Thanks for showing up. We're talking about Taming Dragons this evening. I want to start with a story. On the 4th of July weekend in 1983, my three-year-old son David and I climbed into the cab of a U-Haul trailer pulling a Ford Fairmont and we started our drive from, Can from Green Bay, Wisconsin to Kansas City, Missouri. Uh, we were moving to Kansas City because um, I had a sense of God's call on my life. <laughs> Never mind. Oh, there it is. Uh, that car wasn't the car. I said a Ford Fairmont. Anybody remember what a Fairmont looked like? Okay, right, okay. So we were moving to Kansas City so I could attend Nazarene Theological Seminary that fall because God had asked me to serve him as a minister of the gospel. And preparation for that ministry involved a Master of Divinity degree from NTS. So off we went, David and I. My wife Marilyn and our 18-month-old daughter Ariana had gone on ahead of us. They flew from Kansas City to, or from Green Bay to Kansas City because Marilyn was expecting our third child. And the two-day trip in an unair-conditioned U-Haul in July in Kansas was more than what we thought the three of them should try to do. So, um, so they went ahead. Made it Kansas City in good shape, um, moved into the duplex that was going to be our house for the next couple of years, and so I spent the next two months, most of July and well way far into August, further than I wanted, looking for work. Uh, we visited churches and tried to find a place that we call a church home. We spent what savings we did have, and we got used to 90-degree-plus weather and 95% humidity. And then it would cool off at night down to 85. So, so fall of, fall of the start of the fall semester arrived, and off to, off to Nazarene Theological Seminary I went. Sorry, just got a little spooked. And the longer I was there that first week, the more I realized what I had gotten myself into. More reading, more writing, more projects, more tests than I can ever imagine, and that was just for one class. And I was taking three. Add to that a new job that I was learning, uh, the new church that we were adjusting to, and really the two of us wondering how we were gonna make ends meet and I knew I was in over my head. So the second week of class during um, the chapel services that they had at seminary then was always spiritual dedication week. And Dr. Early, uh, pastor of Pasadena First Church of the Nazarene in Pasadena, California, was the speaker. It was the first time I'd ever had a chance to hear him speak. The text for the second chapel service is the text that we're using today. So I need you to grab your Bible, or grab the Bible in front of you. You can turn to page 531 in the Pew Bible. Or you can turn to Job chapter 42. And when you have it, would you stand and let's read together. 
Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. Job is talking to God here. You ask, who is this that obscures my counsel without knowledge? And then Job says about himself, surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. Job talking to God again. You said, listen now and I will speak. I will question you and you will answer me. And Job says, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. So the whole passage served as the text for Dr. Lee's message, but the verse I needed to hear, the verse that spoke to my heart that day was verse two. I know that you can do all things and no plan of yours can be thwarted. I think thwart is a great word. We'll talk about it another time. You get it though, right? Thwart, have you ever thwarted somebody? Really? Okay. So I knew in that moment that I was where I was supposed to be, I was doing the thing that I was supposed to do, and that I would fulfill the call of God had on my life because no plan of God's can be thwarted. It says that. The verse became my anchor for my time, our time in Kansas City, and during the years since. Now, I have to admit that I didn't know much about Job at the time. I mean, I knew where the book was because I had memorized the books once upon a time, the order of the books of the Bible. I knew that Job had been a wealthy man who had lost everything. I knew that his wife had encouraged him to curse God and die. And I knew that eventually Job received back more than he had lost. Everybody knows the end of the story? But what I didn't know much about was the story in between the beginning and the end of the book. And so that might be the case for a few of us here, so I'm gonna go over that for a bit. First of all, I need to remind you or need to let you know that Job had three friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. Name your kids those names, I just dare you. <clears throat> They were well-meaning friends that kept saying to Job, fess up, fess up to whatever it was that he had done wrong because he had obviously done something wrong to deserve all the pain and suffering that he was going through. Isn't that how that works? They were sure. So they'd say something to him like, oh, come on, Job, just own this. Just admit that what you've done, just admit what you've done wrong so that you can get relief. Uh, but the problem was, though, that Job hadn't done a thing to deserve the suffering. Section number one. Number two, all the way through that middle section of the book, except for when Job's friends are talking, Job contended with God. He reminded God of all the good that he had done. He reminded God of all the bad that he had not done. Job told God in no uncertain terms that he had lived a righteous life and asked why had all this happened to him? 
It was like Job was on trial. He was the defendant, and he kept trying to make his case to prove his innocence. He kept saying, I'm innocent, I'm innocent until proven guilty. Isn't that the way that works? But the longer he talked, the less things changed. None of his appeals mattered. Job continued to suffer. Job continued to be in pain. Job continued to be covered with sores and sat in the pile of ashes without having, while having to put up with his so-called friends. And then there's a third piece in that middle section of the book. It's critical to understanding how that all fits together. See, God had listened to Job make his case. And then he listened to Job's friends give their advice. And then God listened to Job again, and then he listened to his friends again, and then he listened to Job again, and then his friends, and you get the idea. So God finally says, enough. It's my turn. So beginning with chapter 38, God reminds all of them of who he is and what he's done and what he can do and what he will do. It's really a sermon in itself. We should just meet sometime and, and read it together. And God ends his rebuttal, his rejoinder to all that Job and his friends had thrown up and been saying and thinking by reminding them that he, the Lord, Yahweh, was a dragon tamer. So listen to what he, uh, listen to this dragon that he tames. If you want to follow chapter 41, verse 12. I will not fail to speak of his limbs, his strength, his graceful form. Who can strip off his outer coat? Who would approach him with a bridle? Who dares open the doors of his mouth, ringed about with his fearsome teeth? His back has rows of shields tightly sealed together. Each is so close to the next that no air can pass between. They are joined fast to one another. They cling together and cannot be parted. His snorting, his snorting throws out flashes of light. His eyes are like the rays of dawn. Firebrands stream from his mouth. Sparks of fire shoot out. Smoke pours from his nostrils as from a boiling pot over a fire of reeds. His breath sets coals ablaze and flames dart from his mouth. Strength resides in his neck, dismay goes before him. The folds of his flesh are tightly joined, they are firm and immovable. His chest is hard as a rock, hard as a lower millstone. And when he rises up, the mighty are terrified, they retreat before his thrashing. The sword that reaches him has no effect, nor does the spear or the dart or the javelin. Iron he treats like straw. Bronze, like rotten wood. Arrows do not make him flee. Sling stones are like chaff to him. A club seems to him but a piece of straw. He laughs at the rattling of a, of a lance. 
His undersides are jagged potsherds leaving a trail in the mud like a threshing sledge. And he makes the depths churn like a boiling cauldron and stirs up the sea like a pot of ointment. And behind him he leaves a glistening wake. One would think the deep had white hair. Nothing on earth is his equal, a creature without fear. He looks down on all that are haughty. He is king over all that is proud. Sounds like smog to me. Smog the dragon from the Hobbit sounds just like smog to me, except smog had a little weak point, right? This dragon doesn't. So now I'll go back to verse 1 and see what God does to a dragon like this. And so he asked Job and his friends, can you pull in a Leviathan with a fish hook? Can you tie his rope with a, a tongue with a rope? Can you put a cord through his nose or pierce his jaw with a hook? Will he keep begging you for mercy? Will he speak to you with gentle words? Will he make an agreement with you for you to take him as your slave for life? Can you make him a pet like a bird or put him on a leash for your girls? Will traders barter for him? Will they divide him up among the merchants? Can you fill his hide with harpoons or his head with fishing spears? What's the answer to all the questions? Oh, no, no, that's not a secret answer. What's the answer to all the questions? No. No. So God says, if you lay a hand on him, you will remember the struggle and never do it again. Any hope of subduing him is false. The mere sight of him is overpowering, powering. No one is fierce enough to rouse him. Who then is able to stand against me, God says? Who has a claim against me that I must pay? Everything under heaven belongs to me, says the Lord of hosts. So it's after that God reminded Job and company that he was a dragon tamer that Job declared, I know that you can do all things and no plan of yours can be thwarted. One writer summarized it all this way, God's purpose is all that counts. God's purpose is all that counts, and since he is God, he is able to bring it to pass. Amen? Amen. Now, it's been 32 years. I know I don't look that old. I was 16 when we moved, right? It's been 32 years since I heard our text read in that seminary chapel service. My dragon at the moment was a mountain of homework and the obligations of home life and the limits of my resources. 
I, I didn't see how it could all happen. But no plan of God's can be thwarted. Amen? So with his grace and Marilyn's help and our family's love and our church's support, graduated with an MDiv from seminary in 1987. Since then, though, given the loss of friends over the years and loved ones, as well as going through suffering along with family members and friends as they endured their pain, I can see now that my, home, my concern about my homework then pales in comparison. But it all seemed like a fire-breathing dra dragon to me at the time. And so I want to take a moment here and give you a chance to name your dragon. Name the thing that strikes fear in your heart. Name the thing that is causing you deep pain. Identify whatever it is that seems so overwhelming to you, that is soul-threatening to you, that challenges your very faith in God. Name your dragon. You got it? You got it? And then remind yourself that I know that God can do all things and no plan of God's can be thwarted. in the face of whatever your dragon is. And I know a bunch of you well enough to know that your dragon, some of your dragons are pretty big. But this is still true. Amen? Amen. One more thing that has to be said. I need to say it here. You see, it, it is important that we remember that when Job confesses his renewed, deeper, fuller, fully surrendered trust in God, he's still covered with sores. He's still sitting in that pile of ashes. He is still estranged from his wife and he's still having to deal with those friends. Job had no idea what was going to happen next. But he put his whole weight down, his whole life down on the one thing that he knew to be true. I know that God can do all things and no plan of God's can be thwarted. And that was true and it is true if Job's story had ended there.
Now, we do know, we do know that Job's health was restored, that his wealth was returned to him, that he was given a new family and he lived long enough to enjoy them. <laughs> we also know that his friends got their comeuppance because God takes care of them a little later in the chapter. And if you have the time sometime, ask me about $4.29. There's a seminary story there. And ask me about empty kitchen cupboards that suddenly were full when we returned an hour or so later. Or about giving birth to that boy that Marilyn carried from Green Bay to Kansas City at home in January of 84. I'm glad the things worked out for Job. Amen? Yeah. Uh, I, I am grateful for the grace that got us through our time in Kansas City. But even taking all that into account, it is vital, it is vital for us to get to the place where we're able to join Job and say, no matter the outcome, No matter what happens the next day, I know. I know that God can do all things, and no plan of His can be thwarted. Amen? Read it with me. I know that God can do all things, no plan of God's can be thwarted. One more time. I know that God can do all things. A plan of God's can be thwarted. It's been not quite two and a half years ago now. My, my friend Tom Clements went to the door and answered the bell and, and a guy that was dressed like a pizza delivery man shot him twice in the chest. I got to the house just before the paramedics did. They did what they could to revive Tom, but he was gone before they got there. The next two days, the next few days were a blur of grieving and loss and planning and arrangements. And those of you that have lost loved ones or family members, you know it's just an odd mix. You're talking about jello salad and the fact that somebody's gone all in the same sentence sometimes. Somewhere, sometime, during one of those meetings, during one of those conversations, it was decided, it was decided that one of the songs that we would sing during the memorial service was a song based on the book of Job. And so we sang. And it's the song that I want us to sing as a way to end our evening together. It'll help us say in one more way, I know that God can do all things. No plan of God's can be thwarted because the Lord gives and the Lord takes away.
and blessed be the name of the Lord. Stand, let's sing. Blessed be your name. 